Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that you have raised your son and that through him we receive all grace in this life and especially in the life to come. Father, would you help us tonight as we look at your word to love what we see and to be changed by it? Father, thank you that you are a God of grace and that you save us apart from our works, but simply through faith. So help us to see that tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, just two verses. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the gospel. This is the center of the Bible. This is what the Bible is all about, the good news, the gospel. And the framework that we've provided so that you can clearly understand the gospel yourself and so that you can clearly articulate it to other people is through four words. Four words. God, man, Christ, response. And we've walked a week at a time through each one of those words. God, man, Christ, response. The first week we talked about God. He's immortal, everlasting, all-knowing, almighty, all-good. He made all things and everything exists for his glory. God. And we talked about man, mankind. We have sinned. That's our big problem. That's the big problem that the good news addresses. That's the reason the good news is good, is because we have sinned, and our sin has separated us from this holy, perfect, full-of-life God, and we're his enemies, and we'll face his judgment someday. That's the bad news. But last week, we talked about Christ, that God sent his Son to be one of us so that he could live the life we could never live on our own, a perfectly righteous life, and then he would be crushed for sin he never committed, our sin, so that we could have his righteous life counted to us and so that our punishment for our sin is counted to him. That's what Jesus has done for us. Is that automatic? So Jesus has done that, but is it automatic? Are we saying, okay, Jesus died for sinners, now everybody's going to heaven? No, that's not what the New Testament teaches. We respond, we receive this gift of grace through faith. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, our response. And we're going to do that by looking at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So, follow along with me. It'll stay on the screen behind me the whole time. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. This is God's word. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, the way we're going to work through this short text is by breaking it up into two sections. First, talking about what it means that salvation is by grace. 
And a lot of this will be just recap of what we talked about last week. Salvation is by grace. And then we're going to talk about what it means that we receive it through faith. So those are our two sections. And we'll have a little time for application, Lord willing, at the end. So let's start with salvation is by grace. Verse 8, by grace you have been saved. By grace. So that word grace in the New Testament is talking about a kindness that you did not earn. That's what grace is. It's when someone shows you kindness and you didn't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. And that's why the words grace and gift are so often together in our New Testament. Grace and gift. Listen to these verses. I'm just going to read a few. Romans 3.24. We are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to Romans 5.15. For if many died through Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Romans 5.17, two verses later. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. And then in this book, Ephesians 3.7, Paul says of his own ministry, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So, if someone gives you a gift... You're not doing anything to deserve it. It's grace. It's just kindness. They're showing you that you never earned. It's totally separate from what you've earned. So if you have a contract at work, that you work your hours, and at the end of the month, your employer pays you 1,000 dirhams. At the end of the month, you've worked, you've worked, you've worked. You go to his office. He's got an envelope for you. There are 1,000 dirhams in it. That's not a gift. You earned it. That's your paycheck. That's what you agreed upon. He gives it to you in the envelope. Okay, so you take it, and you walk to the bus stop, and as you're going, you meet someone. It's a friend. They walk up to you and said, I've been thinking about you this week, and here, I want you to have this. And they hand you an envelope. It looks exactly the same. They walk away. You look inside the envelope, and there's a thousand dirhams inside. The gift or what's inside the contents of the envelope, they look the same, but one's a gift and one you earned. The gift is just a kindness. You did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. Grace is when God gives what you did not earn by working for it. This is so important. This is so important if you want to understand the Bible. Grace is God giving you what you did not work to earn. A gift. And our text is telling us that salvation is a gift. It comes by grace. Now, Paul is just hammering this nail down. You just look at these verses. Listen. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. In case you didn't get it. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You got it? You didn't do anything to work your way into this kindness so that no one can boast. 
You boast about things you deserve, things you've earned for yourself. You get no credit for your salvation. He gets it all because it is all gift. That's Paul's point here, and he's just hammering it home over and over again. And this is unique to real Christianity. And the reason I say real Christianity is because you may have grown up in a home that called itself Christian or a church that called itself Christian, but the attitude in your home or in your church was that you need to perform to be good enough in order, in order to receive favor from us, your parents or from your church, and that's the way it is with God too. You need to perform. You need to be good enough if you're going to get favor here. But that's not real Christianity. Not according to this text. Every religion operates according to this rule. If you're good enough, you can earn your own way. Every religion in this world operates according to this rule. Now, some will say, yeah, God will help you. He'll give you help. Maybe you couldn't do it all by yourself. But you are adding some work that's earning you in some way salvation. Every religion on this planet. And even if you're not religious, you may not, I don't know about God. I'm not sure what's really out there. You still operate according to this rule. We all do. Whatever it is at the end, I don't know. But God or the universe will recognize that my good outweighs my bad. That's how it will pan out. But real Christianity, the kind that brings real salvation and brings you really and truly to God, is not a result of your works. It's a result of God's work on your behalf. That's the difference between Christianity and almost every other worldview. It is totally a gift. Please hear this. There is no room for boasting in Christianity. You do absolutely zero to earn it. And it has to be that way if you're going to receive it. If you don't receive salvation as a gift, 100% gift, you won't receive it. Romans 10, Paul, who was Jewish and really knew Jesus, he was saved. But in Romans 10, Paul is grieved over the fact that most of his Jewish brothers aren't saved. And listen to what he says about them. He tries to get at the heart of the problem. Why is it that most of the Jews are not saved? Here's what he says. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews is that they may be saved. So they're not saved. For I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, the righteousness that God gives, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. That's the heart of the problem. 
rather than receiving completely as a gift God's righteousness through Jesus' life on their behalf, they wanted to establish their own. And I'm pleading with you, don't live your life that way. Don't live your life seeking to establish your own righteousness before God in order to be accepted by Him. He gives it as a gift from start to finish. And that's the only way anyone is saved is when salvation is by grace. So how do you receive that gift? Our text tells us, through faith. It's by grace, through faith. And this is the response. When we talk about God, man, Christ's response, the response to hearing the news about how God has provided it all is by trusting faith. That's how you receive it. By grace, you have been saved through faith. So, how does your body get the nutrients that it needs? Food. Buy food. But it's not automatic, is it? I mean, you go, there's food at Bawadi Mall. There's probably food at Kennett Hospital. It's not nourishing you just by walking by it. We're nourished by food through eating. That's how the food that nourishes us becomes ours. So here's another analogy. Most of us have water tanks on the top of our roofs. How do you get that water into your house? It's not automatic. It comes through pipes. How does the gift, the water of God's grace, get into your house, into your life? Through the pipe of faith. The gift of salvation becomes ours through faith. That word faith, sometimes it's translated belief or trust. That's what it means. Belief or trust. So the gift of salvation becomes yours when you believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised for your salvation. That's how it becomes yours. When you believe, it is not through you proving how worthy you are to receive it. It comes through believing. Faith is the opposite of trying to work to earn anything from God. It's the opposite. Faith is the opposite of trying to work to earn anything from God because what faith is, is faith is relying on the God who works for us. That's, that's why we receive the gift of salvation this way, in this particular way. Because faith is relying on God who works for us. And that's the opposite of trying to earn it yourself. And if that's the way that salvation comes to us, just by believing, trusting, that means it can happen to you right now. You don't have to go anywhere or do anything for it to be yours. In fact, I sometimes think right now is one of the best ways it can happen because you're just sitting there 
You, you don't have an opportunity to do anything right now. But it's yours if you believe. Now, this may seem like a tangent to some of you, but it's not. And I'll explain why it's not in a little bit. Because some of you, if you know your Bibles well, you're thinking, yeah, okay, this text does say that we are saved through faith. That's all it says. But I know from reading the Bible that other passages say that we're saved through repentance. The Bible calls you to repent in order to be saved. And that's true. Sometimes the Bible calls us to repent. So Jesus, at the start of his ministry in Mark 1, he says, repent and believe the gospel. In Luke 13, Jesus says, unless you repent, you cannot be saved. In Acts chapter 2 and 3, Peter's explaining the good news to people, and they want to know, how do we get it? And he says, repent. So which is it? Is it you trust alone and you're saved, or you repent? The reason some scripture says we're saved through faith, and other scripture calls us to repent in order to be saved, is this. Think hard with me now. Repentance and faith describe the exact same movement of your heart from different points of view. Okay? So repentance and faith describe the exact same movement of your heart, but from different points of view. So if you're having a conversation with someone, let's say that person's name is Bob, You're talking to Bob, you're having a conversation with him, and somebody walks up behind you. Say that person's name is Fernando. And you're going to turn around and talk to Fernando. Are you turning away from Bob, or are you turning towards Fernando? Well, yes. They're the exact same movement. If you're going to turn towards Fernando, you've got to turn away from Bob. Now, if you replace Bob with sin... So your whole life, you're oriented towards sin. Your whole orientation is selfish. You trust anything and everything but God in truth. And you hear from behind you that God sent his son to become one of us so that you might know true life. And you turn to God. That's called faith. Turning away from your sin is repentance. Turning towards God is faith. It's the same movement of your heart, just from different perspectives. That's what repentance and faith are. They're the movement of your soul away from sin, that's called repentance, and towards God, which is called faith. Real faith Real trust is, if it's real, if your trust and your faith is real, it is at the same time a mistrust of your sin and yourself. If you're going to embrace God and the gift of salvation, you are rejecting your old life. It must be. 
So if you're asking, okay, what's this tangent about? Why did you bring repentance into this? This passage was a lot easier until you brought repentance in. It's because I want us to be clear that when the Bible talks about faith, we're saved through faith, it doesn't just mean adding Jesus to your old life. It doesn't just mean adding salvation to the old course of your life. It is a rejection of your old way of life, your old values, your sin, your selfishness. And it's an embrace of God through Jesus with all of you. And it requires no work of your own, just trust. So here's my invitation to you. Embrace this good news. Embrace it. I mean, if this is your first time, you're like, I'm not a Christian, embrace it. Turn away from your sin, which is sucking you dry. Turn away from your efforts to try to save yourself and embrace the God who gives and gives. Gives his son and saves us. God, man, Christ, response. God is the eternal, infinite, holy, awesome God. He made all things. We're all accountable to him. But we've sinned. That's man. We've sinned. We've rejected him. We're dead in our sins. We're cut off from him. We're cut off from all life, and we will face his wrath because he's just. Not because he's unjust. But because of his great love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who, being one with God, became one of us. So that... The righteous life that you need in order to stand before God, but you don't have, he might live for you and be crushed for your sins so that his righteous life might be counted to you. And the response is this. Believe it. Believe it. And it's yours. That's the gospel. Now, I don't normally give assignments in sermons. I don't normally send you home with things to do. But I have a couple, maybe more than a couple. This week, practice sharing the gospel with someone using this framework. Practice. It can be a Christian, but practice. You don't know how well or how poorly you can explain the gospel until you try. When I, my first year in seminary, so I was going to school to be a pastor, and I went out with some other students into downtown Minneapolis. We were going to share the gospel. We were going to walk up to people and share the gospel. The first person, I walked up to him, and I said, you want to know the best news in the world? He's like, okay, sure. I was like, Jesus loves you, and he died for you. Can I pray for you? He's like, whatever it takes to get you away, do it. And I left there thinking, I love the gospel. I love it. But I didn't know I couldn't explain it clearly until I tried. So do this. Practice with another Christian. Let them give you feedback. This will be helpful 
for you. Or you can share this. I would encourage you, share this with someone who doesn't know Christ yet. Do it. You can blame it on your pastor. You can say, my pastor gave us these four words to explain the gospel. He wanted us to practice. Would you be willing to listen? Do it. You'd be amazed at what God will do. Kids, this is your assignment, kids. Share this with your parents this week. Talk, talk through it with your parents. God, man, Christ response. Work your way through the gospel. Let your parents listen, help you, have them share it back with you. That's your assignment. You think you can do that? Here are a few more practical suggestions before we close. Learn a few short Bible passages that quickly get to the heart of the gospel. Learn one or two so that you can point to a text, the Bible, and say, this really is what the Bible teaches about the gospel. It's, it's great whenever you can share the gospel, but if you can show someone, this actually is what Christianity is about, and here it is. It'll help. Here are a few. If you, if you take notes, here are a few you can learn this week. This is the longest one, Romans 3.23 through 25. So it's three verses. But listen to this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a sacrifice for sins, by His blood to be received by faith. There's the gospel. Romans 3, 23 through 25. How about this one? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Another short one. It gets to the heart. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He didn't know any sin. God made him to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. How about 1 Peter 3.18? This is a good one to memorize. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. One more. You probably know this one. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Learn a text. One of these texts or two so that you can get to the heart of the gospel quickly with someone. You don't speak the gospel on your own authority. You speak it because God has revealed it, and you can show that to someone. All right, a couple more. I said it was a couple to start with. This really is a couple more. Pray this week for someone to share this with. Really ask God this week for someone that you can share this with and for an opportunity to do it. That might scare you because he will answer this prayer. 
So pray as well that he'll give you the boldness to do it when it comes. And be amazed at what God does when his gospel is preached. And if people are interested, some will be. Some will hate it and they'll hate you, but some will be interested. Use the church. Let them meet other people who believe this same thing that you do. And use the Bible. Say, if someone's interested, say, would you read the Bible with me? Because God's word is powerful. So God, man, Christ's response, let's use it, church, for our own hearts. Let's love it. And let's see God save people through his gospel because it is his power for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news. Maybe some people who are resisting it. It can't be that we simply believe. It cannot be. I've got to do something. It is by grace from first to last. And you give your precious son's righteousness counted to us and all our sins taken away on him by faith, by faith alone. So God, create what you require. Open our eyes to see that this is true. And that the God who would give such a gift must be the greatest, kindest heart in all the universe. And you are God. So we praise you. And we praise you for the cross. Use us, Lord. Use us that others might hear and be saved. And at the end of the day, let none of us boast in our own salvation or in the salvation of anyone else, because it is all a gift. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.